but possibly my eyesight is also really bad. G'day everybody, welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we're in London and neither of us are from here. Do you want to introduce yourself, Sue? Uh, so, I'm Tui. <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> do, do all Anglophones just get that wrong? Uh, mostly, but, okay. but I mean, it's understandable because the t sound is not very common for, like, not very common sound for the letter C. So, I practiced it. Yeah, I it's okay, you can figure it out right. by the end of this session. Okay. Yeah, you have enough time. So I'm Tui, that's spelled C-U-I, and I'm from Singapore. Um, I'm an independent producer, um, and I kind of work across disciplines, especially performance, um, and I'm quite interested in the intersections between art, anthropology, and social action, and that kind of filters into a lot of the things I do. Yeah. So I mean, I guess the reason why we're sitting here in this room in London is because I'm currently on residency with two of my collaborators, Joel and Sean, who are both theatre makers as well. And we're in residence at Asia Art Activism, which is um, a collective and network of um, artists and art makers of Asian descent or interested in Asia, broadly speaking. And yeah, we're all in Raven Row at Artillery Lane in Liverpool Street. Wow. So, does everyone who come here um, are in the same boat as us of being like born into former British colonies? Mm. No. Yeah, I guess not necessarily. Okay. I think, um, I, I mean, Britain being Britain, it would have a lot of... Um, varying relations with people of Asian descent or Asia as a region. So, I mean, there would be probably people from Vietnam, um, people from Thailand, maybe, Japan, Korea. Wow. So, all of them would maybe have different roots or desire paths or points of interest um, in the intersections between UK and Asia. But I think a lot of them are also, they happen to be based in the UK, right? Um, for example... Um, so my collaborators and I, we aren't really. So Sean and I are based in Singapore, but uh, Joel is currently studying at Central St. Martins. Mm -hmm. So he is currently in London. I used to be based in London um, for a few years, a few years back. So, but now I'm just a passerby okay. again. Yeah. And um, let's talk about making work mm -hmm. because I think... Uh, a producer that I once worked with called Narelle Lewis, she said there's the there's the business of making art and then there's the business of making art happen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you do both of those things, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, the only tangent, the only um, line I can draw between what we were just talking about and what we now will talk about is that we are adding... Uh, hmm, uh, assets, cultural assets to the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so we continue mm -hmm. being producers of wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm keen to hear, I guess, the questions of Wombat Radio every time is what are you doing? Mm -hmm. In, in the field of making art and then in the field of making art happen. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, I think, yeah, like those those words are, in terms of the differentiation between making art and making art happen are quite, um, I also, the ways I kind of frame it sometimes when people say, what does a producer do? But, and for me specifically, I think my ethos or what I am very interested in as a producer or just someone interested in working in the arts um, is more about making art happen better. Oh, nice. So I think that informs a lot of the things that I do, whether it's asking questions about how the conditions for the artists and or for the audience and even for the relationship between people who fund us or mm. people who may want to fund us mm. um, and the artists and the audiences, how to make things better. Mm. Um, and better, of course, is quite open-ended. So I think that is also something, an eternal question that I am asking and trying to find answers to. So it could be very ethical, moral things. It could be very material things. Um, it could be about creating opportunities and platforms where they don't exist Mm -hmm. or it could be something as simple as opting not to take funding so that a project actually has more room to breathe for example so like ethical room or uh, aesthetic room or Mm -hmm. creative ability to to call into question power Mm. structures that you otherwise wouldn't be able to yes right yeah and i think that also has a lot um for me especially i think how I see my role as a producer in most kind of spaces of creation um, is is like I always feel this very strong sense of responsibility um, if things don't go well, which is also something that I have to learn to let go of over but time. For yeah, what is your metric of going of things going well? Oh, it's it's so. I think. If someone's unhappy, actually, like, I will feel quite guilty. Um, So that's not good because I think, and I learned this recently, like, so (laughs) a couple of weeks ago, I was babysitting for a dancer friend whom we both know, Si. So she, we we met, uh, yeah, so Si was in town for a dance workshop and I was helping to babysit. And then there was one moment when the baby was crying and crying and crying for milk and I was rushing to get the milk ready. And then um, I think one of the workshop facilitators happened to be in the pantry with us and the facilitator was really calm and said something like, it's okay for them to have negative emotions. It's very healthy for their development and well-being. It's okay, you know. And, And then I realized, oh, actually for me to have a calm response to the baby's panic was probably better for the baby than for me to scramble and panic Uh and then have two panicky bodies in the room. (laughs) Um, And I mean, and that was, I mean, that was just one moment, but then it was, for some reason, I extrapolated it to me thinking about all the situations in which I have felt that an artist is unhappy, Mm. whether with me or with the broader conditions or with the outcomes of a work or with even how a rehearsal went. And I think emotionally, I have often felt this like responsibility or guilt if someone doesn't feel good after rehearsal or show or project or meeting. And yeah, I think I think it is just added to my my kind of toolkit or my emotional toolkit to kind of like be able to filter. Well, you know, there are some things that you can 
do, but not everyone's feelings all the time are a responsibility. Yes. And also, not feeling good about something isn't necessarily a bad thing or a done deal. Yes. Yeah. So. It's, yes, right. It's not. That's not the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's actually quite helpful whether you are a producer or an art maker. Mm. I think especially, and I don't know if it's comparable in Australia, but in Singapore, I think one perennial problem that we're all facing or grappling with is the um, how costly failure is. Because like it's so financially, emotionally, socially. everything. <laughs> Um, all of the all of the above basically because Usually I just don't want to let people down who have helped me make the mm-hmm. thing yeah but it's almost more than that I think because maybe depending on the medium right. you um, you make your work in I think there is a sense that the scene in Singapore is small yes but small um is of course a psychological perception of spatiality but also about social relations about how everyone is one degree of separation and so there is this fear of failure um, especially amongst independents or younger and or emergent practitioners emerging emergent practitioners um, that if you fail or if you have a, like a crappy piece of work yes um, you're kind of doomed forever because you'll be judged by that for your next funding application or by potential collaborators or critical kind of platform providers right. um, or builders. So I think, and then of course the fear of people gossiping or saying like, oh my God, that was so shitty, Ugh, you know. And so those things I think filtered in a lot more powerfully I feel than when I was an independent practitioner in London because I didn't know my audience like 80% of the time Mm. and I didn't know where the hell they came from (laughs) I'm like why are you here for this show (laughs) like how did you even find out but okay thanks I'll take your money (laughs) Um, and and because of that the repercussions of a neutral or like middling review or a good review or a so-so review or audience feedback just didn't feel so heavy yeah um so yeah i i I think that in in some ways is homework for a lot of us yeah Um, yeah and it's i think it's also even if you take away all of the uh social responsibility there's the feeling of merit somehow like you want to see good work succeed whether it's yours or somebody else's and you want to support good work to succeed whether it's yours or somebody else's but as soon as you want good things to succeed that means you don't want shit things Mm -hmm. to keep succeeding and and then you need to start making judgment calls on things Mm -hmm. um it's it's like the ultra the never-ending catch-22 of being someone who loves something is that you're much more critical of it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. F- f- uh, an auntie that I have, for example, from Malaysia, very critical about fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Just because she has such a high standard mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. exposure to excellent fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. she's a lover of yeah. fruit. Yeah. And I feel that way about dancing. Mm-hmm. I'm really a lover of dancing. Yeah. And most of it I don't like. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, most dance. Mm. 
But um, how do you? How does this square with your? I wonder if there's a difference of vulnerability or approach or resilience within practices that are more embodied, mm-hmm. that whereby you will then put yourself front and center mm-hmm. emotionally or physically and versus other practices where somebody can write something and then mm-hmm. send it off and not have to be present when yeah. it's being devoured. Yeah. No, that that is also something that um, because I work across disciplines very like that like at any one point I have dance projects, I'm working with theatre makers or people artists who are working with children and communities or yeah. Um, people in the visual arts and then actually I realized um, in the past couple of years just how much um, they have very just how much this affects how an artist sees their relationship with the work and also just how fearful they are of outcomes um, I definitely um, artists who work in a more embodied sense um, for their practice have a lot more vulnerability but actually I feel that sometimes they also end up being the toughest and the most mm. resilient because they they practice vulnerability ah, you know fit. and it's yeah you know it's a muscle that they have practiced mm. through performance but through I mean contexts like um, I guess jams and improv spaces mm. and and things like that and I think they're also a lot more attuned to how they feel and how their body feels and that is um, kind of coloured by emotions as well and vice versa whereas I think for theatre makers depending on respective practices I think some playwrights can be very um, detached um, in a good way from the final outcome they feel that they've birthed a piece of text and then they're ready for anyone to adopt this child and do as they will with it Um, some people are a lot more precious and if they've written something they they may go so far to kind of want to direct it or direct the director so you know so yeah so insofar as that is something informed by art form or practice I think it's also personality Um, people who want to practice vulnerability will practice vulnerability as part of their work people who don't want to be vulnerable or be exposed to this will in by contrast maybe manifest it in a more anxious um, presence Mm. to kind of want to be controlled in control and everything and often maybe they'll just cite this is my professionalism mm-hmm. you know so I think it, it's quite interesting to see um, the differences in personality across the artists I work with um, they're so different and there's, there are general, <laughs> generational changes differences as well mm. or yeah so because our experiences inform us and do right. you are you still making work Me? in the sense that you will be the the parent or the author or mm, I think not mm-hmm. I think not in the sense um, that yeah that you might mean I think I do a lot of um, hmm I think there are some artists that I work with such as Joel and Sean with whom I'm on residency at the moment um, we have a bit more of a collaborative co-creation type of dynamic Mm. but that stems not so much from 
um, our practices or a project at hand, but rather because there is a lot of um, friendship and very very deep trust mm. between us. So, I in many ways I don't see myself as a creator or an artist, and I used to say that very upfront and say I'm not I'm a, I'm not an artist. I'm a producer. I'm a producer, and that was especially my earlier years as a producer when I faced a lot of skepticism when everyone would just say well you're a producer because you're a failed artist mm-hmm. which I'm not because I never went to art school never really was a artist or art maker um, and then but then now I'm just like yeah whatever like I am a producer um, and I don't feel like I have to be anxious or justify my role in things except to the people I'm working with so in terms of creation, for example, in this context of this residency, we are on quite even footing, um, but then we also take note of what subjectivities are coming into play in certain parts of the conversation. So mm-hmm. for example, for the most part, we're just peers talking creatively together, but there'll be some moments where I'm like, I'm sorry, but I think this is my producer head speaking Um but like you know on Thursday do you guys think that we should be doing this 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 and like oh can we do that 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 you know so that we can give it to the curators blah 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 so yeah like it's for me it's more it's not an identity I have Mm. for myself but it might be a dynamic of um, working that I have with certain people and but for the most part I fully dot 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 identify myself as a producer I think Mm. Um, and have you worked with artists who have uh, I've been in situations where I thought that uh, I there was I was working with a producer and then it turned out I was working with a creative producer Mm -hmm. who wanted to have input Mm -hmm. and we had to have a discussion about Mm. that that's not their job Mm -hmm. and and it's um as what's the word ego yeah Mm. that somehow yeah my ego was saying actually we are here to support my vision Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, does that happen where people where Mm. you've had to feel out okay in this role actually I'm just here to like write the timetable Mm. and make meetings Mm. and then what do you do when because you're also uh, artistically and creatively engaged mm-hmm. what do you do when you artistically and creatively disagree mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm. you still have to facilitate the mm. thing that you disagree with yeah mm. so there was a period of time I had creative producer as like on my name card right. as well and that was especially when I was working in the UK um, and I had a little, like a very tiny little company that I was making work. So it was because I was the creative producer. Like I was initiating the projects and I was finding the creatives or the artists to work with and the resources and all that. Yeah. And then when I first moved back to Singapore and I used that term, oh my God, I think I pissed off so many people. Um, producers and artists. People who were sensitive. People who were like, it's not the job of a producer to be creative. And on the other side of the fence, it was like, who says what producers do aren't or isn't already creative? Like, a, 
you know all of these things are creative work as well you don't need to be you don't need to call it creative producer uh-huh. blah, 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 blah. Right. so fast forward five years I think people have kind of absorbed the term a bit better or they've gotten used to it um, but now I just go with producer because after the first few years where I wanted to make it quite clear that I wasn't just an administrator for hire yes okay. um, because of and that's specifically because of the landscape of the art scene in Singapore right. that maybe a lot of the freelance work for projects would yeah. really just be about can you fill up this form and then can you tidy up the report and yeah. can you just lie with National Arts Council because I don't want to do it and I think are when there I've, people that do want to do that or is that a job actually that nobody wants to do I mean I I think I'm okay with doing okay. that surprisingly now that you're asking me I'm like <laughs> yeah it's okay like I there are worse things to be doing to right. be honest right. um, but I think because when I was when I moved back to Singapore in 2014 I was actually new to the scene and I didn't want my first few formative years or experiences to be entirely shaped that it will end up defining what people hire me for. So I was very clear that I wanted to be um, participating in projects or involved in projects that allowed me some form of creative um, conversation or at least for me to be in the room um, and um, not just as an admin person Mm. for hire. And then as I took on more projects across disciplines and everything, I think now people kind of understand what I could do, what I can do. And when people approach me or ask me to be involved in a project, um, even before I start with them, we we always have the conversation um, about why they want me on board. Mm. And like my questions are always, why do you think you even need a producer? What do you want from a producer? Whether mm. it's from me or another person who's a producer. And what do you imagine this producer to be doing? Mm. Um, how do you imagine this producer to be working with you? Um, what do you count as communication? And all these kinds of things. Because, I mean, I have to juggle maybe 15 to 20 projects with different artists at any one point. And then sometimes, artists are kind of like, really like oh yeah we'll be chill we'll be flexible and then that's them at the start and then we'll be like oh yeah we'll meet up when we meet up and it'll happen when it happens Um, but then maybe sometimes they will panic will ensue and then I have to do a lot of emotional damage control or situational damage control so I think like having those conversations at the start are very helpful because then I can tell them sometimes that I don't think you're looking for me to be a producer, but I'm happy to be your friendly sounding board Mm. as you go through this process. Um, Or maybe when you reach a particular phase, maybe that's when what you think um, I might be helpful with will come into play, but maybe your project might not be ready right now. Mm. Um, And maybe it's more more creative collaborators to play with or dramaturg that you might want to play with at the moment. and then these conversations end up becoming maps that I go back to. Like these are the maps of principles that we talked about, wow. right? Are we deviating? Let us let me know if you think we're deviating. And if we're deviating, let's have a chat about that. Okay. Um, so you can imagine like 
I can be a very tiring person for people who don't really want to talk about these things. <laughs> um, but I, I yeah. imagine a lot of the time the reason people don't want to talk about it is because it's not clear for them. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Um, or actually sometimes they just don't want to admit that they just want an admin person. Okay, so actually. you get like a general So they'll manager. be like, so they'll be like, no, you, we respect your opinion or... Uh, or more like no 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 like you know so you're a producer da, 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 da. but then like at the end of the day they'll, they'll, they will kind of treat you more like a, so why didn't you do this why didn't mm-hmm. you do that um, and stuff like that so and how much just when you were talking about um, emotional damage control mm-hmm. how much of that do you tolerate because it's not mm-hmm. really part of mm-hmm. your job mm-hmm it's it's more like a part of the job of the first the artists themselves mm-hmm. and then their friends and their families mm-hmm. i guess yeah or their creative peers but i don't mm. know if they have much to spare i think in those situations i usually focus on i mean like making sure they're okay is important to me because if they're not okay then that's not okay, yes. right? Both for the big picture as well as for their well-being in yeah. general. Um, so, I mean, people, some the people close to me do tell me off sometimes for absorbing too much, mm. um, either of maybe negative emotions and things like that. But, um, but for the most part, usually in that situation itself, I will, I will take it. Right, because like, you're usually mm. probably the first person to see yeah. the work as well, yeah. And so they're looking, if, especially for the um, these days where most people only have enough resources to make work on their own body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they can't see it, and so mm. they do it, and you're the first audience, and mm. then they're just <laughs> desperately looking for mm. some kind of mm. confirmation, mm. and you're it. Yeah. No, I think I think in those. In those situations, actually, it's not difficult um, for me to respond because a lot of the time, it's it's a few things. Like people, it's about affirming the person in front of me that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily about the work being good or bad, yeah. but it's okay for us to be in this position yes. or in this situation. Yeah. And then maybe about talking to them to, to have them talk through how they feel about where we are Mm. and then talk about the options lying forward so what would you like to do tomorrow how do you think you feel about the show now Um, do you think we should be um, doing a work in progress instead Um, and I think for me maybe also I'm psychologically I'm working against what I perceive to be a perception that producers just want the job done or want the show to be done and they just are product oriented kind of taskmasters but that's kind of against my instinct also so actually I have found in the past two years especially myself in this strange position of convincing someone to not do a work or to take more time to do the work okay like I have people come up to me and say let's say it's March and say oh yeah I'm thinking of doing this show in July so what do you have now? Oh, nothing. Okay. Now be like, why don't you just do something in July, but not the show, but just f- 
find your way and navigate and just tap on the resources like kind of hunt, hunt be a hunter and gatherer along the way mm-hmm. forage your way till July and see what you have and then forage your way a little further until you feel that you're foraged enough to make a dish that you want to share with the rest of the world mm-hmm. um, and it's so weird that I often have to convince so hard that it's okay to not do something mm-hmm. um, and it's a strange strange kind of Situation that I think is a byproduct of the economy. It's a byproduct of funding structures, but byproduct also of um, how how people now just consume artists in terms of what they put up on their social media as well. Yeah. In terms of yeah, I did this last week. Oh, and I did this next month. And there's also this pressure to show that you're active. Um, so it's it might also yeah. be within the say within the dancers themselves the dancing body the um performing choreographer that there's a there's a bubble of now that mm. we're constantly living in mm. which comes from training mm. and uh responding through impulse and improvisation but mm. then bleeds out into that you actually can't imagine more than a week mm-hmm in the future Mm. Uh, and so this thing should exist if not now then never will never and then it creates an anxiety Mm. Um, but I wonder how we bring that back in relationship to um, the social action that you're talking about Mm. because that very much it seems like your role as the your role in the uh, community is to produce the artist over a longer time mm. and then the because the that's what will make the art good mm. hmm. I think of in terms of where I feel I operate Um, and the picture I see or the image I have in my mind is actually a lot more about producing the conditions in which all of us operate okay so it's not the work and it's not the person making Mm -hmm. the work but it's the community and the environment context that they're embedded in yeah so Mm. it's 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 everything from how a room feels yes to how people feel broadly speaking in the art scene how people may feel in terms of what is possible, what is within reach, what is doable, what is of value and meaning in the society they operate in. So, I mean, I think this bleeds into... I mean, all of it is quite blurry within myself, but I think when I'm a producer, um, it comes out in the form of certain types of advocacy or certain types of arguments I'm constantly having with people. Um, And what... mm. Which people... It could be um, people who maybe in that moment I feel are part of a problem or reproducing certain problems that are contributing to um, an unsustainable art ecosystem, for example, or unsustainable or maybe insufficiently diverse. Um, So, and... And most of the time, it's not that these um, perspectives cannot be in peaceful coexistence. I feel I think it's possible if if you if you take the the in 
like kind of the idea of a farm or a forest or everything. Um, sometimes I, I have likened, you know, the UK's arts scene to be more like the Lake District. And then Singapore's art scene is a bit more like a little eco pond that a school has built for the students to play with and look at fishes and everything. And it's not to say that one is more nature than the other, one is more valuable than the other. But if we have particular visions of having the pond be something big enough, thriving enough, um, hospitable enough for more types of people, more types of organisms mm. and, and energies, then mm. I think people who come in and out of this space have a duty to not just maintain it and clean it and feed the fish, but to also make sure that the fish don't get too big, for example, to, to that at the expense of everything else. So I think a lot about um, the kind of more invisible barriers to entry, to work, to working in the arts, but also invisible barriers to entry that are created because we are such a tight-knit scene for the most part that everyone is friends. And actually, the lack of anonymity in making work is actually also a certain kind of lack of freedom mm. to make the kind of work you want to do. So, I mean, these are all kind of bits and bobs of things that I think are sometimes... Um, not problems but kind of challenges to the our little eco pond growing and diversifying a little bit more um, that link to what people say about oh we don't have exciting work coming out well that's cause you know it's the big fish all the time maybe you know that's cause you're used to the view of the fish and it doesn't mean that the fish aren't good it's just that the fish are blocking the view of the little terrapins trying to get some air mm. yeah yeah and the air is important to, if we continue with the analogy that a pond needs to be oxygenated mm -hmm. externally yes um, which you know creates turmoil mm -hmm. and and that okay, that since we're continuing the <laughs> analogy then you know like in terms of introducing things to the pond yes. I think sometimes it's always very well intentioned because it's like oh you could just bring this other species of thing into mm. this ecosystem to introduce it to the ecosystem mm. but how you introduce it and the terms on which you settle that mm. in makes a huge difference um, it could be oxygenating if that's the mm, word. Mm -hmm. um, but it could also just turn into a very parasitic yeah, presence, yeah, yeah. which I sometimes feel does happen when it comes to bringing um, external um, parties or partners or collaborators um, yeah. to the scene. Yeah, yeah. And, and what about um, trying to invigorate <laughs> with, with more... Uh, organizations and more bureaucracies and more performing arts markets mm -hmm. and uh, and more uh, mobility of presenters and mm. directors so that they can move around and see yeah. everything but they're never mm, there's something there as well there's like a, a desire for exposure but then a desire to guard against monotony monotony or monoculture that comes from mm. being exposed to everything yeah 
I mean, I think the more the bigger problem is not um, that exposure is bad or that performing arts markets are bad. I think the problem is um, the expectation held both by policymakers and um, bureaucrats, funders, as well as artists sometimes, that these things should immediately bear fruit. Mm. I think that kind of expectation carried to a market or to a, an experience or an encounter with something different or exposure to something external. I think if if you just think of it just as that and then let it grow and mm. germinate at its own time, yeah. that is usually... But of course, it just does not sit with the rhythms of funding Industry. and policy making yeah. and GDPs. So, <laughs> understandably, yeah. but still, yeah, yeah it's, that's, that's quite a... Yeah, so I, th- I think time is also this thing that I constantly feel that... I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm quite hypocritical because uh, on one hand, I'm like trying to tell artists, oh, you know, take the time you need to give the project or your idea as much room and resources and space as it deserves to breathe. Mm. Um, But on the other hand, there is a very real problem that I do have to take on like so many projects with so many artists um, in order to make a minimum living that actually I can't always give all my time um, to everything that I'm doing. Yeah, because you become a resource as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still something I I, I grapple with. Um, Mm Like, is it possible for me to live by the things that I'm trying to tell people to do? We mm. shall see. Check back. <laughs> Check back in five years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want to tell me about your wombats that you drew? And you <laughs> oh, um... No, they just so like when I was a kid, I I was um, I think my first visit to Australia was when I was eight, and then I was with my family, and then I never ever really asked my parents for anything like to buy me stuff or and stuff like that. We weren't that kind of family, um, but we walked. We had this pit stop by this petrol kiosk and for the Bosch room, and then there was this little shop with this little stuffed wombat there, and I was like, oh my god, it's so cute. <laughs> And I think that was probably the first time I ever asked my dad to buy me something. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why he bought it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was my first wombat. And his name was Pet. Because I used to be obsessed about Wheel of Fortune, the game show. And the host is called Pet Jack. And I already had another stuffed toy that was a white owl that mm-hmm. was called Vanna White. <laughs> um, so... So I named yeah I named I named him Pet and then later on I had another big one called Pete and then I have two other little ones yeah so it was quite funny um, because like when when you told me about Wombat Radio I just kind of kept imagining them on a mm-hmm. radio show mm-hmm. um, yeah it's quite it's quite funny yeah but but. Yeah, like how much of, I guess, what we've talked about kind of is relatable for you actually in the Australian context? Because I I realise also, and this is more an awareness I have every time I get out of Singapore, which I'm very grateful for, um, is that like I get so caught up 
in the bubble of the realities and the immediacy of the anxieties working in Singapore that I forget and actually is quite similar or actually very different in other mm. situations I uh, don't know if I understand um, art scenes mm-hmm. or even arts industries um, I think maybe I have a little bit more of a knack to understand things that are a bit more abstracted than things that are a bit more <laughs> like macroeconomics makes more sense to me than microeconomics mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for example mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and maybe not even more sense as then it's more interesting mm. uh, to me because as soon as there can be abstraction it means that then you can um, re-question the underlying assumptions mm-hmm. of is is that has that been tested or is it simply ideology because mm-hmm. um, I would push back against ideology most of the time mm-hmm. uh, and it, uh, yeah I want to think about um people who make things as a community rather than as an industry mm-hmm. because I don't think it's a very good industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I, because I think the supply and demand is the wrong way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have some other not at all new ideas that um, I've been collecting from other people about how it, it may be assumed that what artists are doing is somehow expressing, mm-hmm. but I think that makes some very poor art. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time what they're doing or what I um, would remind myself to do is to listen to the very faint voice or the idea and then once it has uh, revealed itself to me to then give it give over to that uh, interest or desire Mm. my skill set or my resources Mm. and I think I remembered about this because I'm about to do a a presentation in Manila as part of a conference called Tropical Performance mm-hmm. and we'll be facilitating the group the group I'm doing it with is called The Pump and we'll mm-hmm. be facilitating some river walks mm-hmm. and I think it's a group of people uh, bringing back to life a river that was there mm-hmm. that is no longer there because usually because of urbanisation mm-hmm. it's just been redirected mm-hmm. but if we get all of the water in a whole bunch of human bodies together mm. and then follow the course that this river used to take, mm-hmm. the river exists again mm. for a moment. Yeah. Uh, and so I think about uh, ideas or concepts in the same way as that river where it's not that um, this concept or this idea that has appeared is me mm-hmm. and it's not that I need to express it in the same way that you have to express uh, milk Mm-hmm. For example, it's mm-hmm. not that it's, it's in me and it needs to get out. It's mm-hmm. that um, for whatever reason, mm. 
something in the world has asked me for my time. Mm-hmm. And, and if I give it some of my time, then uh, in the way of using my craft or whatever, mm-hmm. the, I know people take issue with art and craft and mm. skill and technique and... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> but uh, if I give it what it needs, then maybe it will become... It will become. Mm. And then when it has become, then it can be seen by others and maybe it can be useful to others. Mm. Uh, which I think is no more ridiculous or... Um, what's the word when things slip through your fingers intangible Mm -hmm. than how basketball was invented Mm -hmm. like literally a gym teacher had a bunch of kids at his school Mm. and needed to keep them active Mm. and so put a bin up on the wall Mm. at two ends of the room I was like this ball that we usually kick around we're Mm. now going to try and throw it in there Mm. bam yeah and it exists and mm. it's an industry and a culture and an identity and mm. an aesthetic. Mm. Um, so I think about it in that way, which is not to say that I think it's selfless, which is to say that I think it is, I forget that, who said it, probably an old white dead dude because mm. they're the ones that are quoted most often. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> maybe I can yeah. become one of those. Yeah. <laughs> But that, like, you should go into the arts not because it's um, a good financial decision, but because mm. it's a good life decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And but this is why I would push back against the arts being in industry because I think what industry should, at the very least, do is break even. Yeah. And what I think the arts and endlessly does, which I think most thriving mm. metropolises also do is like take in fresh enthusiasm mm. and then use it up yeah. <laughs> and kick it out. Yeah. And mm. that's, but, but on top of that, I would say that the bringing the arts from an industry back to a community means that you need to be there in the spirit of being there. Mm. And that that's what, that's, what we can hope for or the standard that we should hold ourselves to. Mm. It's so interesting that you were talking about, I mean, all of this is so resonant or like I identify with it a lot because Mm. also often because I really struggle to think of myself as um, a worker in an industry. (laughs) for obvious reasons, hello, the art scene, like... <laughs> yeah, um, you need to get paid to be in Yeah, like, and it just makes zero financial sense. Um, I spend more than I earn from mm-hmm. the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, there, there are kind of two things that were popping up in my mind, as you said. Like, one thing about the river walk and how um, the creative endeavor or pursuit is more about giving, like colour or light or shape or form to a thing that passes and encounters and asks for your time and actually I think of that a lot um, in my own work as well like I think of projects come to me and I see a lot of synchronicity that well this project is here in the right time Mm -hmm. this idea is manifesting at the right time and I I follow these opportunities that I go so I don't really do a lot of job I don't do job applications except for this one time when I desperately needed money mm-hmm. and then I applied for a job. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but other than that, I really just kind of follow where the universe sends me mm. a lot of the time. And then I think about in each conversation or project with an artist, like what shape or meaning or sense am I supposed to be putting out into the world with yes. this? Um, is it more in terms of like pushing out something that that challenges ideas of trust or or it could be something a lot more to do with the core of what the project is about for example like climate change or something like that and actually yesterday during the residency um, so every day we've been taking turns to lead exercises or tasks for each other and we've also been taking turns to archive or document the process okay. um, like writing tasks or like um, it's a mixture you have to run down the street covered in streamers uh, or something mm, more writing tasks okay. <laughs> <laughs> but actually yesterday so it was my turn and yeah. I was actually very um, nervous about it because I'm not usually in the creative capacity and I had put this out as a disclaimer to Joel and Sean on the first day that um, please be patient with me if I feel uncomfortable but I will tell you if I feel uncomfortable and then I may opt out of an exercise Mm. because I don't see myself and I don't feel entitled to feel like an artist for example in Mm -hmm. this space yet Um, so yesterday was my turn and then I was very tired of writing and I was very tired of text and critical theory and intellectualisms and metaphors so I proposed a long walk. And then so we walked for two and a half hours and like 20 over kilometers all across London. And I gave them a very clear brief at the start, um, framed by some text that I read out to them. And it was kind of about going through the rest of the walk as a post-human geologist many years into the deep future after the end of the Anthropocene. Mm. Um, and as we go through the city to be open to the sediments and the bits left behind that we are encountering along the way. Um, and and it turned out to be a very moving, um, but also very aesthetically charged experience for us like we were we ended up experiencing the city in a completely different way even though it's the same city mm. um and we're going through roads and streets and everything and along the way i had like kind of peppered some um audio fragments um from other things that i had recorded previously to share with them from london or no. from some were from things from other places other places but some were recordings of something I had written many years ago Mm. and that was also in the form of a journal or a log um, for another project that I did so in your own voice in my own voice Um, so it was a very interesting experience because like I thought of it as an exercise to kind of maybe um, open up some conversations about Um, less texty things and more felt sensorial emotional textures or um, aesthetics but in the conversation um, we had after that the two of them kept referring to it as some kind of a performance also or performance experience Mm. and and then that that kind of like made me think ah okay yeah actually it kind of was Mm. like 
and actually we were all performing we we all had some kind of role and I felt like a friendly ghost guiding them along the way and mm-hmm. they were these geologists mm-hmm. wandering through this post-apocalyptic landscape that was 2019 London um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, uh, you know... It is yeah. a bit post-apocalyptic in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. Even current thriving cities can be... I mean, the the end is already now. It's just... It cannot be deferred, right? It's already being unevenly distributed, manifesting in different places mm. right now as we speak. Mm. Um, and it's just unfolding slowly rather than an immediate apocalyptic explosion as we used to think of in terms of the end of times. And I mean, what actually sparked my um, kind of interest for framing in that way was this extract from a book I'm obsessed about right now by Robert McFarlane, a white but alive dude, (laughs) um, whose writing I still love a lot. Um, And he was writing, he mentioned this painting by... Thomas Macaulay, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong, but never mind, um, about the New Zealand, uh, and it's called The New Zealander, and it talks about, I mean, the painting is basically this New Zealander that is um, sitting on the bank of the River Thames, looking at London in ruins. But the juxtaposition of that, because this is 19th century England, mm. um, the juxtaposition of that is that the New Zealander is like this distant traveller who has come to the center of civilization after it has been destroyed. Mm. And it, it, it was such an interesting juxtaposition because, I mean, just before we started the recording and everything, we were talking about us both being from former colonies, um, the, the Commonwealth, broadly speaking, slash common bracket source of wealth. <laughs> um and but also how people would have perceived us differently mm. right like when you walk through the streets of london and i walk through the streets of london if i'm in chinatown or if i'm in st paul's i'm i i am performing a tourist straight away i have to do certain things to not look like a tourist um whereas maybe people may automatically assume you're british as you said well also uh some people don't even pick up on my accent yeah oh Huh? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> huh? <laughs> um, mm, but that's... I imagine people pick up on your accent. Oh, so often. Yeah. yeah. What do you perform to make sure you don't look like a tourist? I mean, that would... I mean, now I don't care. Then, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm a tourist. I am a tourist in the world, whatever. Mm. Um, but I think when I was living here... Um, like, did you dye your hair red or something? Or oh, blue? no. Like, that's so... a thing to do. Yeah, but... Or, like, rip your jeans. I think it's kind of... So, one of the things that really struck me about how I change my, myself and my mode of going around the world when I'm in London is that in London, I'm a lot more guarded but a lot more free in because I feel anonymous. But I'm very guarded because like I, I protect myself by scruffiness. Yeah. Right. So I used to be I used to dress up really scruffy. Not dress up scruffy, but I used to just let myself remain scruffy in terms of just having I just don't look like someone who walks out of a catalogue and I don't look like a cool person. I don't look like I belong in Soho or whatever. I'm just 
yeah whatever yeah. Um, and I think that used to be a mode of protection for myself um, also because people I used to have this like hang up about people just treating me like a kid because for people who are listening and who don't know me I'm very short um, and I also sometimes look like a child um, <laughs> even though I'm very much no longer one so I think I used to have be very uh, defensive about it and I used mm. to kind of wrap myself and navigate the world around now I just kind of own it if yeah. you're going to treat me like a child I will just treat you as a person who treats an adult like a child yeah right I you know? see yeah. uh, or if you talk to me like I'm an idiot um, and speak really slowly because you think I can't speak English then I would just treat you reciprocally mm. as or I'll just receive you as that kind of person right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I have Look, less there to are prove some, there are some UK accents that I can't understand same <laughs> and they walk past and I like um, this this old British dude who ran, runs a record store in Nottingham, mm-hmm. I just had to go off body language because I couldn't understand. It's like yeah. it's like right back in the throat, and the lips don't really open up. It's like mm, yeah, yeah, sure, cheers, <laughs> ta. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just say mate a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they say mate so much. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, another thought that I, I had mm. passing through my mind when you were talking just now about industry mm. was actually also maybe we have um, a defensiveness to that term as well that can be challenged within ourselves. This idea that industry is the way kind of current neoliberal kind of spaces have made it out to be yeah. um, is very much shaped by the behavior of the banks now and also yeah. of startup econ the you know, the tech scene and everything. Yeah. But there was a time, I guess, in terms of economics and markets and yeah. whatever, subsistence was perfectly okay. You know, as in like it's not about right, you didn't have performing to. growth. Yeah. Or or or, or capitalizing. Or painting the illusion of growth, which I guess um Goldman Sachs are great performance artists for. Um in terms of painting <laughs> painting images of growth uh-huh. for ourselves but actually we are we, if we kind of remove that fear of what industry is meant to mean yes. or what it looks like then we are a fully self-respecting very self-sustaining industry because we make meaning we consume meaning and so much of fulfillment that we give off each other and give each other is so it's like very often it's a it's a very nice circular economy right. especially in in certain spaces i'm sure that you sit in and everyone just feels so happy to be together to be having conversations about life and living yeah. and love in the world and and also to share in like deep grief or happiness and and these are things that a certain type of industry is like just completely incapable of giving yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's there's an inherent value rather than a, an exchange value. Mm, yeah. That's a... um, I, yeah. Yeah. I push back against both, mm. which doesn't leave me much space to live in. <laughs> yeah. But I push back against the inherent value because I'm not a fan of ideology and dogma because mm-hmm. I think that 
once something can't be questioned or challenged, then mm. it can very quickly be um, perverted into being harmful. Mm, of course. And then yeah. it has no corrective function built into it. Mm-hmm. But I also challenge the industrial uh, framework mm. from from a little bit from two sides. The apartment block that I'm staying in at the moment, which of course has been gentrified mm-hmm. um, and now can be leased as an Airbnb, mm-hmm. it has a plaque on it saying, erected in 1880 by the Metropolitan Association for Improving the Dwellings of the Industrious Classes. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up in uh, like my parents and all of my um, aunties and uncles run businesses Mm -hmm. and so I feel very much part of the industrious class that produces goods that enrich people's lives Mm -hmm. and then I've crossed over into what may be seen as the bourgeois pursuits Mm -hmm. of (laughs) producing nothing that nobody is asking for Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time once you produce meaning, mm. then um, it it can be when when you as the holder of the meaning treats people with respect and meets them where they are, it mm-hmm. can be a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it is never patronizing. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. And I think that. Uh, even more so in relationship to physicalized meaning production Mm. like dancing Mm -hmm. rather than a what I would term as more of a visual art which is a staged dance performance Mm -hmm. which is for the viewing of dancing I think is for the feeling of whether you're doing Mm. it or not Mm. and that uh, I was thinking in class this morning that may be the only thing we have left mm. to do once everything else is done for us. Yes. <laughs> once yeah. all problems are solved and all other industrious activities are uh, mechanised and automated, mm. one of the only things we would have left to do, I would hope is dancing because if it's not dancing it's going to be going to the gym Mm. (laughs) (laughs) not happening for me but okay i'll pick dancing Um. (laughs) because it it is it does um it it does put you into the the world Mm. somehow the brain's just so good at deceiving itself Mm. and then as soon as you try and do something Mm then you're back in collaboration with reality. Mm. <laughs> or in the present moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also. The bubble of now. <laughs> yeah, the bubble of now, which is a good bubble to be in sometimes. Mm. And actually, I think we struggle to stay in the bubble of now too often, mm. which I think is what I enjoy so about being with dancers, mm. actually. So dance is the, probably the newest... Um, art form in my kind of encounter mm-hmm. or journey as a portfolio 
That's the industrial term. Yeah, Repertoire? but I don't have a portfolio. Uh, uh, well, group? in my journey, I'll just go <laughs> through my journey because I was never, I didn't grow up being exposed to performing arts or to art or visual art or anything like that. You didn't have like any aunties that danced or anything like that? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Isn't there like traditional I, dancing? Yeah, but not in my life. Okay. I mean, so my, my world was books. Um, and then because... Asian family piano classes. Oh, yeah, but also yeah. just so you know, yeah, also Western family piano yeah. classes. I wanted to learn saxophone, but I had to learn piano first. Tough. <laughs> um, I prefer piano to saxophone, though. <laughs> yeah, but I think because of that, I mm. never really sort of and and in my sp- okay, maybe I shouldn't generalize with Asian, but in my family, especially in terms of embodied behavior and expression and everything it was quite a disciplined um or restrained or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what do you what do you say when it's like kind of held back right a lot of so no physical displays of affection or physical expressions of self specifically what in i mean in my family which is singaporean chinese um, and yeah, so gonna, yeah. Like you're not talking about Philippines. No, I'm not. So I'm, I'm, yeah. So <laughs> erase, erase, erase. Uh, not to edit or cut out if you want. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but you don't have to. I think, and I think, and and I think this kind of slips of the tongue and like easy generalizations are things that I'm still learning to not use as well. Um, well then also yeah. yeah the the opportunity to reapproach the thing that you just approached mm. from the wrong angle yes and so uh um, gostan gostan in yeah. <laughs> singlish which is like uh, backing up back up back up so <laughs> gostan 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 so like i think dance is very new to right. me relatively speaking compared to other art forms that i've been exposed to or encountered um what about music videos i i didn't really watch much tv okay um, but you knew about like Michael Jackson. Yeah, but not big on him. <laughs> and also, even if I liked music, I wasn't the sort who would dance to it at home. Yeah. I was the sort who would secretly hide my Walkman under my pillow and uh-huh. listen to it so that I could memorize lyrics. Oh. Yeah. Did you do that with rap? No, I okay. did that with like Les Miserables. <laughs> 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 and also, no doubt. And, yes, and, okay. and 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 some like you know John Denver, <laughs> right on. Yeah, yeah. he's a country musician. But yeah, yeah. I w- I really liked his songs when I was a kid. Um, like or rather, these high. were the ones that it's like were. <laughs> and then I'll try to like you know Grandma's Feather Bit and 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 songs like that. Um, but no, so because of that, it was always it was so refreshing and eye-opening for me to make friends with dancers mm. and be in the spaces that dancers create for themselves or dancers find themselves in mm. so i mean we met in dance nucleus yeah. right in singapore yeah. and i started going to dance nucleus because i i went there to watch a work in progress performance of a f- of an artist i was working with but then i started just going back there myself um just to watch stuff because i was so thirsty and hungry for something like that that I mean I think which you can't get when you pay money to watch 
like you said, you made the distinction in terms of dancing for viewing and dancing for feeling. And I felt a lot more every time I was in a space like Dance Nucleus, looking at things or talking to people about the things that they were doing. Yeah. Or even just participating in contact improv jams, yeah. which maybe it's hard for you to like empathize how terrifying um, that is for someone like me because I don't exercise, I don't move, I'm not very very in tune with moving in space and stuff like that but to actually have a space and give myself up the space and have people like lift me and twirl me and like spin myself over their body was terrifying Mm. but it was very transformative Mm. I think uh, that um, creating a space in which you can become embodied is the key to transformative experience. Mm. Yeah. And that's my jam. That's your jam. <laughs> I don't know what else I'm about if it's not about that. Mm. But there are so many there are so many trip hazards mm-hmm. within those things. <laughs> yeah. Right? That that mm. spaces that make room and care are also super vulnerable mm. to the egos of people that are not sensitive to the space they're taking up yeah um and at the same time a certain level of skill needs to be achieved not immediately but over time Mm. so that the playground can become more intricate and alive and yeah the bodies can become more intricate and alive within that yes um and And there needs to be a an acculturation of a a deeper understanding, which I think we probably used to have in many cultures of sensuality mm. not being sexualized, mm-hmm. uh, and that that relearning needs to take place, yeah. which doesn't mean that it's not intimate, mm-hmm. um, but it means that your feelings of intimacy are from the outside in they're a result Mm. of proximity Mm. rather than a result of um feelings or desires that are that are defining of who you are and how you should now act Mm. yeah (laughs) so i think that yeah that and that's only some of them yeah and i think actually some um arts experiences um or encounters with art can also be transformative in the sense of deprogramming or helping us shed away mm. some of those things that are blocking us or the that are the barrier between what you said we've forgotten um, and our learned modes of defenses mm. or in so-called instinctive responses which actually are often acculturated as well. Um yeah. Yeah, it's one. It's, it's because we come back to me being a dance lover. Mm. It's one problem that I have with improvisation structures that are about following impulse. Mm. Because actually, if your impulses are shitty, mm-hmm. then what you will do will also be shitty to watch or yeah. to feel or whatever. So, um, and if you're like following instinct, mm-hmm. but you haven't uh, 
whatever it is when you upturn the soil so that you can plant a new mm-hmm. crop if you haven't worked the soil and yes. and examined how that instinct got in there and mm-hmm. what it is and if you still agree with it if it's cohesive mm. with um your sense of a more available expansive able self then uh it's like cooking a meal for somebody with non-edible substances yeah um or just anyhow la. Like I mean <laughs> the only word I can think of is like as in it's one thing to to listen to yourself and follow um instincts and impulses, it's yeah. another to just any oh how mm. and then say, Oh, I'm just being I'm listening to my instincts <laughs> and impulses because listening also entails um asking questions of right, it. Right. Like you can't just like yeah, I feel like whacking you, so I'll whack you. Like as in, you know, it just, it just, yeah, right, right, it's, right. it's just less meaningful and so it becomes edible. It also <laughs> becomes something with the questioning that mm-hmm. you're doing. Yeah. Do you, are you questioning? Do you want to talk about any of the questioning that you're doing with your mm. artists or with your approach or with the context that you're mm. facilitating? I think when I when I in certain contexts, because yeah. for some projects, sometimes they just need an executor, and it's a lot more straightforward. And mm-hmm. also, the process itself doesn't necessarily have space for questioning much more. Because um, it opens tomorrow night or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe the question is just along lines of logistics. Like, do you really need to cater food for 150 people? That's going to waste a lot of food. Right. Let's not do that. Yeah. So that line of questioning, okay. <laughs> um, but then I think another line of questioning that I often have is is um, like it's linked to the word that I used earlier about deprogramming. Mm. And I think with any kind of space, group of people, pair as well, um, or context, there are always learned modes of behavior or interactions or thinking and patterns that we already bring in with us that are accumulated from our lives um, and the environment, but also how we feel that day, the weather and things like that. So I think a lot of the questions that I have often are, how do I pay attention to those details so that I can sufficiently counteract that existing programming for a productive outcome? So it's it's something as simple as, for example, if I'm working with a lot of musicians and they're very experienced musicians. And so if they were to jam and improvise, it would be really easy for them to come up with something beautiful sounding, potentially edgy enough-ish, new-ish, um, and people will feel good at the end of it. But if that's not the aim, the aim is to create something new altogether, mm-hmm. something different that they didn't expect to be able to create by coming together in a room, then what are the elements that I can introduce into the room or the questions or the parameters that I can introduce to that jam that shifts that or at least makes them conscious of the habits that might be coming into play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it could be something as simple as you can't play in the same key, mm. which everyone is very happy. Like attuned to usually. Well, yeah, you practice it. You put mm. it in. Yeah. So that you can stay mm. on the rails a bit more, and you oh, feel like mm. you're more in a role of a curator in those situations because mm. they're still undeniably the artist. Yeah. Um, and your facilitation, as mm. well as making sure there's a space for them to work in, is mm. is making say 
more legible or more concrete the um, conceptual space that they're mm. working in, maybe. I think my role is still producer. Okay. <laughs> I think as a producer, I bring my way of being in the world and my way of seeing things into any situation right. that is specifically mine. So I'm, I can't say that other producers will do the same or won't do the same. I, By that same logic, I also can't say whether that means I'm being a curator or not, mm. but it wouldn't be something I identify with. Mm. But it may be a verb that I'm doing. I don't know. Um, I, I Facilitating is a word I sometimes use or moderating mm. certain things. Um, but... I just kind of think of myself as another thing in the room that anytime you throw something out, I am also a surface against which what you throw out bounces off against. So, I mean, I have some artists who are like, oh yeah, you're like a dramaturg. And then I get like mini hive attacks. Like, um, Not because I... I'm not sure why. I, I, I'm not sure why I am averse to being called a dramaturg mm-hmm. but I think I'm just averse to having more and more labels that yeah. have so much professional baggage bound up in them being tied to what I do yeah. when I just kind of feel like I'm just being myself and I'm a producer <laughs> you know but well, I like yeah. what you said before about some some things just need an executor mm. and I wonder if there are if there's maybe a, a what would you call it like if a re- reason is the wrong word but if maybe there's a pattern to why so many artists need to work with someone who is an executor mm. and is it because they to be I mean there's a book called Staying with the Trouble and mm. my feeling is that I haven't read it Um, but I like the title because I see it happen all the time that um, people who are some people would actually just be done with something and move on from it Mm. and the people that stay with something find something else Mm. that usually is overlooked but but those people can stay with everything Mm. like they can stay up too late Mm. Or they can stay, uh, yeah, stay at a friend's house for too many weeks or whatever. Like mm. <laughs> the staying mm. somehow is somehow different to executing. I don't know if mm. that's a very interesting insight, mm. but I wonder if being able to execute uh, is what you're saying about startup culture mm. and industrialization of what used to be commons or community resources yeah if that mm. forces the quant like that you quantify things by their execution mm. something it's almost like a, a faux quantum entanglement theory mm. where until it is executed it does not exist mm-hmm. I think it it it's a bit of that um, but not always. I think sometimes 
people just need an executor or some projects I see myself more as an executor because that is the agreed space that between all parties Um, or sometimes it's just not necessarily a project I identify so much with in terms of me seeing something that I can do and actually what I can do for them is I can do spreadsheets I can I I can Yes, and I can project logistical issues down the line right. and highlight them for their consideration to mitigate you, or avoid. Is that just avoid. A talent, being able to foresee things to look further mm. into the future? Or do you I think, think that's it's a skill that everybody could work on if they're interested? Totally. Okay. I think that's a skill everyone can work on if they're interested. And actually, I have often <laughs> also told like friends and artists or whatever that Actually, this one you can do yourself. Like, <laughs> you don't need, you really don't need producer for this. Like, maybe what you need is some pointers along the way and I'm happy to help you. Yeah. I'm happy to share my templates with you so you don't spend eight hours just trying to figure out an Excel sheet and you can just start filling things in. Mm. Um, but, and that's also because I have spent more time practicing that than they have. Yes. I mean, I cannot touch my toes. So, fair, you know? Um, so, it's not... <laughs> and I don't think I ever will be able to touch my toes. So Until you make it a priority. Is it that kind of thing? Like, oh, that's a good anything? one. Or is yeah. it, because I, I often mm. wonder, is it? are they competing brain spaces to be in? Of course. Is the bubble yeah. of now completely generative for uh, a live experience that could be transformative? And is the um, the ability to live for the next eighteen months, mm. and and say, okay, in seven months at two p.m., mm. this thing's going to happen. Mm. Like I, I really, I want that superpower. Really? Yeah. But that's just going to like really interfere with everything you're doing right now. So. I mean, I don't actually want that superpower. Um, um, I would like time turners if we're talking about superpower. Um, but actually, we're t- sorry, tangent, right? If we're talking about superpowers, yeah. if there's one superpower I really want, yeah. and my flatmates and I were talking about this a while back, so it's fresh, I want the power to be able to convince anyone of anything. Um, so the power of conviction. And it's not in the way of... Um, like for me to get 100% grant application success. It's not that type of conviction, but it's a type of conviction where if they are going to give me the money, they're going to feel so convinced mm. about giving me money that they don't feel that it's because I've persuaded them or cajoled them or that they are questioning it at all. And I kind of want that for like my conversations and blah, 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 because it's such a powerful... to To convince people to arrive at certain conclusions or ideas and have them think it's of their own free will. Um, it's it's an exciting superpower for, to, to, to think about. And you, you don't think that you're um, <laughs> exercising that already? Um, are you convinced? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm practicing it. Um, mm. I don't know. How yeah. do you practice it? How do you get good at something like that? Because I think mm. artists... Look, I'm not going to talk for anybody else. I think I only had this revelation maybe two months ago. Um, 
but I think a lot of the work that I was doing came from a place of like nothing more um, honourable than just creating propaganda from my mm-hmm. own viewpoint and then trying to spread it. Mm. Uh, and I have made a very late New Year's resolution in <laughs> May. Better late than yeah, never. To, to catch myself out if my idea for an art is actually just propaganda mm. um, because I think that's better done by other people and I mm. also think that it maybe is patronising to my audience mm. if I have any audience. Mm. Uh, also to yourself because it kind of, to kind of, because I think propaganda is is called that or defined that especially if the people putting it out there may not necessarily have faith in the idea itself and it has to come out in the form of a patronizing dynamic Mm. instead of allowing them to see the beauty of this (laughs) idea and then arriving to receive it with open arms right 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 yeah so how would you be I guess um, this this beautiful accidental poetry that Mm. quite often happens across um, people that are speaking different versions of English is that conviction is something I hadn't thought of the other person having. Mm. I thought of it's something that I had Mm. um, for my own idea. Mm. But then to think about being convincing, it is Mm. to somehow uh, uh, incite that same conviction. Mm. And so I wonder if your superpower of conviction begins in you or if you need to not, like, yeah, but then mm. we do something terrible like become a missionary. Yeah. And so I'm... Mm. It's is, the opposite, <laughs> actually, for yeah. me. Like, for me, I have to have the most doubt in myself. And I still do. I think, I mean, maybe some people are even more suspicious of myself than I am. And I just... <laughs> have not met them or spoken to them I'm pretty right. sure there are plenty of people very cynical or suspicious of me I don't know um, like the bouncers at nightclubs and stuff oh yeah but I have used that to get free drinks oh. so I have bets with them because they're like no you're not like 21 you're not 18 and I'm like I am you want to have a bet and then I get a free drink out of it so yeah um, but to convince them that they think they're right yes. <laughs> and then get something out of it Um, But I think I like to have the most doubt in how I feel and what I'm thinking or what I'm instinctively instinctively arriving at um, rather than having the most conviction in what I'm saying. And yeah, I mean, that of course leads to a lot of like second guessing, um, a lot of like maybe unproductive cyclical kind of thoughts about wait but then if it's that then it's this and it's like but maybe I'm being that maybe I'm not being this but then I think after practice there is a and you do a lot a lot and a lot of circles it's possible for you to actually zoom out from it and then see the circle for what it is while still also having that doubt and like kind of process of questioning yourself and interrogating yourself yeah there's also the thing that you, you can't you almost can't draw a perfect circle by hand, but mm-hmm. if you keep drawing 
the circle over mm. and over itself. It becomes a fat in our circle that <laughs> becomes a circle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So a thick enough line, right? <laughs> so I think tracing things over and over again is also a pattern in my life or my thoughts or mm. my beliefs that have that I've noticed um, where I it's and I'm sure it, it happens for everyone as well it's a p- process of faith and belief and doubt and faith and belief and doubt and then evidence and then you're like well no is that synchronicity or like are you just seeing meaning where there is none or is it yeah. just coincidence and I think most yeah. of the time yes I don't because I think we need meaning I don't think mm-hmm. meaning needs us yeah uh, so I think we get it where we can mm-hmm. um and it can be taken quite aggressively to n- not um, to not partake in somebody else's meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even even something that's not very radical like Christmas mm-hmm. <laughs> to not <laughs> to not partake in like yeah. Um, in a, I don't know what you do in Singapore for Christmas, but I imagine you do the same that we do, which is eat. I did nothing for Christmas. My first okay. Christmas was like when I moved to London. Okay. And I was just like, huh? It's a big deal over it's, here. I mean, it's, yeah, but it's also just a lot of shopping and eating, which I couldn't get over because it was just, it's just a lot of shopping and eating. So for me, because I was, I was working part time, mm-hmm. um, Christmas just meant, okay, I get extra shifts. Yeah. And I wrap a lot of presents and we do good sales. And then after that, I get to sleep because London shuts down on Christmas Day and boxing. And on Christmas Day itself, mm. there's like no traffic. It's like a ghost town. Wow. Perfect day to shoot post-apocalyptic films. And did you? Um, no, I just slept. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so... Somehow it's also your your job is to see the the potential and the the opportunities <laughs> and then just know that they're there for later. yes just just to let you so, know yeah. christmas day is a really good day to shoot uh, in london um yeah if you have a car mm-hmm. um is there anything mm-hmm. else like that that are like little pearls of wisdom or epiphanies or something that you <laughs> try and remember when you're getting down to the the stressful parts of process or even when you're not even at that point when you're looking mm. out two years into the future mm. and you're trying to imagine into reality something Mm. Um, yeah I'm not sure if it's a pearl of wisdom but I like to think of how I am moving through the world as not a solid being Mm -hmm. Um, I mean I have a clear like solid exterior or outline or container I think but I I also want to be a bit more like a net or something that allows things to pass through mm. um, and what gets the sediment that gets kept and caught is meant to be there mm. and the things that shouldn't stay should be let go also you know I, sh- I shouldn't just be a container for everything that passes my way basically and um i think of it in i mean it's more like a mandarin so like mandarin is my mother tongue or my second well more like my second language because i'm definitely better in english than mandarin but 
I think Mandarin is a emo slash emotional language for me. And like there's often this like term that I think of um which is Qing Xin. So Qing Xin is um kind of like clearness or lightness of heart. Um and there's a line that I encountered a while back about how this is not just about not having not it's not about not having any worldly or material concerns. That's not so much what it is. Um, but what it is about is having this kind of body and mindset of constantly being able to adjust and adapt as I move and flow along. So I can kind of just blob along like a jellyfish and go with the currents, go with the flow, but without changing who I am. But still also having this transparency to retain what is valuable and shed what is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and But with a f- with this outward lookingness or forward lookingness so it's like looking forward to so the clearness of heart is being that um, that creature that that is open and transparent and constantly adjusting and adapting but is looking forward to the future um, and creating the future and creating beautiful meaningful moments in future Mm. so I mean yeah, when you translate Chinese to English, it just gets so unbeautiful. I'm sorry. Um, so I can I can share the line with you, like to to put on your Facebook post. That's I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, yeah. then maybe Google Translate might actually be more elegant than <laughs> me. Um, so so yeah, like I think I have often have that um, image with me in my better in my better days. Other days I'm just like, oh my god, I want to quit the arts, like. Let me just go and like work in a cafe. Like, uh, I'm done. So, yeah, it's not like I have that. It's not like I'm capable of reminding myself that every day. Mm. It's still something I work on. Mm. And yeah. and there's a there's a, a, a there's still effort in going in being uh, absorbent or in mm. being res- re- re- adaptive. Because to be truly adaptive, you would just go and do something that was a bit easier and more mm. financially rewarding. True. Um, so True. There, there's yeah. something that refuses to change. Yeah. Like you have to be able to see and listen and think about what's in the environment to adapt to it mm. rather than just what seems to be easy in this environment. I see. So yeah. actually the when people are uh, responsive and they're going with the flow, they're mm. going with a... Um, they're moving across a landscape mm. that has taken effort and insight to understand and fully see. Mm. Yeah, that's very different to some, than something getting thrown about in the waves. Yeah. That's more about... Yeah. Uh, in, like, consideration... An agency leading to insight, mm. leading to I guess a, an interaction with actuality, not with mm. there's, yeah there's a deeper level of what you're dealing what you get to deal with yeah, kind of like if you're a river. Mm. There's a difference between a water particle or water droplet 
that's like at the top of the river mm. um, and or being the main part or being the water body in the center current mm. that works against and scrapes and weathers against the river bit or the river walls mm. that makes the river course yeah, yeah. Of course. um Although of course I guess the water particles also do their job with little <laughs> with little pebbles and stuff like that. So everything has space. Uh, everything in its time. I don't know, yeah. But yeah, like so mm. And what's your biggest hope for all of the things that you're doing? Oh my god. Um. Like it could be mm. for the world or it could just mm. be for your life or it could be for I think I want it to be meaningful for the people involved mm. um, and for it to have any kind of impact or potential transformation for audiences and going forward I have to invest in it being meaningful for the people involved yeah, and meaningful yeah. in many ways yeah and, and do you think that there's a yeah. lack of meaning and that's why it's good for us to produce meaning or do you think that there's almost like a I, I get reminded of this whenever I visit America is that there's things everywhere to eat but not necessarily food mm-hmm, mm. and maybe that's how I feel about mm. meaning I could apply that here yeah. there's like heaps of shit everywhere to mm. justify your activity mm. but maybe not much of it will fill you up yes yeah I completely agree <laughs> I think I think there are, there is there isn't enough opportunities for a hearty meal of meaning and a hearty meal is one that doesn't give you indigestion Mm. either it isn't force fed it's something nourishing Mm. and i think nourishment is also this term that a lot of artists like to use yeah especially these days that's why we also shy away from industry because we have no um expectations that an industry will nourish its Mm -hmm. constituents or its workforce Mm. but um, True. As a creator, you feel like you want to be in nourishing mm. constructs and environments and institutions, and 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 you hope that the producers and the presenters are the barricade between the desire for um, presenting product and the need to nourish whatever it is that brings that workforce up to the point of creating that product. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> like, if you don't have enough nourishment in the conditions where the work is being made, the nourishment doesn't get passed on to the people who consume the work in whatever form either, mm. um, or the people who live off that work. Mm. So even if, as a subsistence farmer, if you don't treat your cabbages well, your cabbage soup is not going to be very good. Um, so, but, yeah. but in that example, you're the one eating it, and so you know. Yeah. And and you can adjust accordingly. Whereas, uh, a, across like especially internationalized mm. um, bodies of art, art industry and production and mm. main stages and mm. things like that, you really it's hard. You just bring someone in, you put something on, then they leave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's a harvest farmer's market, basically. <laughs> um, not even sold by the farmers themselves most of the time. The farmers are the ones on sale. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and 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 actually, sometimes on my more cynical days, I get a bit like or worried about how these ideas of more nourishing spaces or care or attention um, are also being appropriated as products themselves. I mean, right? Like, okay, for someone listening to this in the year 2025, this is the time when, you know, care was a very big deal (laughs) in the contemporary art world and, like, everyone talks about labor and emotional labor and care and things like that. Work is being made out of it. But institutions are also appropriating it um, without necessarily checking themselves. Um, And it's not that the programmers or producers or curators don't mean well. It's, It's maybe that the way the curators and programmers have been set up to put work out has not actually allowed them the space to shine the mirror back onto the institutions themselves. And then they all just pat themselves on the back for shining mirrors or showing them onto society. That's that's quite problematic. And I mean, I've been in situations where like institutions talking about sustainability or um, certain political things just being the worst perpetrators of, you know, the dynamics that we're talking about right. that is bad. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah. That, um, someone made a very... I Like, the difference between early internet, where it was suddenly the shit that was trapped in a library was available to access, mm-hmm. and then late internet, where you can pay somebody $2 to ride a push bike in the snow to bring your ice cream across town. <laughs> yes. And those mm. are fundamentally different things. In mm. one thing, um, the world is being enriched, and another thing, pe- some people in this, in like as they are stratified, mm. are being, um, like their, their dignity is being undermined. Mm. Um, so there's something about that situation where like uh, when you're saying that someone actually just needs a manager it's like Mm -hmm. they open up their um, their Uber Eats app and then Mm -hmm. they scroll through and they find you and and they're like okay I need a manager for this week quick and then you go over and fill out their spreadsheet yes pretty much Um, yeah and actually that was what I was kind of trying to work against when I first went back to Singapore as well and that's why I said oh you know I'm not just an admin person for hire mm. because I didn't want to be the Uber Uber spreadsheets or whatever or <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Uber app applic- application yeah. person yeah. Um, but I think now I'm a lot more chill about it be- not just because I feel a bit more um, confident about my space where I am but also because I think I accept that the change will need to be very gradual yeah. so in contexts where I take on Uber jobs <laughs> or executor jobs I still give myself um, a brief or a task um, in terms of where I know I will be pushing boundaries Yes, but I also draw lines and boundaries for myself so that I don't beat myself up over a project that I don't feel completely for. Yeah. Um, and I think that's my safeguard, although it, I'm still working on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> boundaries. Um, yeah, I still get very upset, for example, um, if 
certain things I feel are maybe being exploitative or yeah. things like that. And then I just do what I can um, to work against it. But yeah, but sometimes it's as simple as putting it down in the minutes um, that this was said, that this is not fair and professional practice and the institution should consider right, this okay. um, for future projects. Yeah. And actually, yeah, it's sometimes it's about adapting their syntax to, you know, feed that idea back in and not and accepting that I won't be able to do anything in that moment as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which some people would say is a cop out. Um which it probably is, is, but working on a longer time scale. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean in in terms of like when we're when we start talking about the executor thing, I think an ideal situation is that artists don't need executors. The reason a lot of the time artists need help with things like that is because of the paper economy and the bureaucracy that the has interface. yeah, yeah that's just all sorts of like stupid inventions of ideas of accountability and reporting and yeah. ideas of legitimacy that are just bound up in paperwork and like like verbiage yes. of like how well you write about yourself and sometimes it's so it's which for me I also um justify to myself as like in terms of like me coming in as an executor sometimes is that it's almost like I'm just trying to make something more accessible in a situation that where it's unaccessible unfairly to an artist who may be filling in an application form for the first time yeah Um, Yeah, there's also like the kind of divide that you alluded to before about being quite bookish I do think that there it is not the scholastic among us who took up the physical art forms. Mm-hmm. Um, some, la, some somehow found their bodies along the way. <laughs> and then some people are good at being good at everything. So oh. I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. But yes, you're right. I think I think there there are also a lot of um there's a lot of um elitism at play or invisible bears which for example actually in the UK I do like that they are actively working against it so they do monitor accessibility of their forms whether it's for people with um, uh, dyslexia Mm -hmm. or people who need things in a larger font or people who need things translated for them um, in any sense of the word and these are things that for example the Arts Council in England wouldn't necessarily penalize if you had to put that into your budget yeah, right. for the accessibility to right. be to be supported, possible yeah. yeah or supported of course at the end of the day councils can't fund everyone so yeah. everyone will still feel like they have been left out yeah yeah um but the fact that this safety net or this or even this mentality or this yeah, clause even ex- 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 exists or the fact that on their website it says if you need help accessing something yeah. we will yeah, just phone yeah. this number or download this toolkit or email this person mm. um, that makes a huge difference mm. to a very impenetrable email system that just says submit your CV and application by this date and then <laughs> there, there's um, it's not anywhere near as consequential but I'm trying to cancel a 
a French SIM card <laughs> and I can't call them because they're not allowed to speak English to me. Huh? Like the company has asked them not to speak English. So I think because none of them are... For liability, is it? I, like, I think because they're yeah. not like qualified or okay. speak English. But I can't speak French. Yeah. And then also they have a face-to-face for people who are deaf. Yeah. So you can call... So I could call them and sign language them, but actually I can't sign either. Yeah. So somehow the translation... Some of the yeah. translation is there. And some That's is not. so fascinating yeah. though. Yeah. The French is a... It's a whole, whole different thing. world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you that I that we didn't bring up that you want to talk about? Mm, not that I can think of right off. I mean, like, we could probably go on forever, but we shouldn't because time yeah. is of the essence. And I'm starting to get hungry. Are you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to nourish ourselves in yes. other ways. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed this conversation. Same. Yeah. And I think... Um, like I wouldn't it might our conversation would have been would have been very different if we had met in Singapore or Australia ah yeah yeah so I I would just like to thank the room (laughs) or the city for having us amidst very hostile constant like you know situations here Um, but yeah I I think it's been shaped by where we are Mm. um, it was nice.